I've been pretty disappointed at the level of ambition globally when it comes to education specifically. And what I found was when I came here, that was not the limiting factor, actually. Welcome to Wise On Air, the podcast where we talk to the world's leading minds on the future of education. My name is Basim, and I'm the producer of the show. A few weeks ago, some of the top AI leaders in the world representing names like OpenAI, DeepMind, and Google came together to sign a statement. That statement urged caution to AI development worldwide. While there is plenty to be excited for, there is, of course, a lot of concern regarding this technology. Time magazine recently wrote a piece comparing the development of this technology to the way nuclear energy was propagated. Some would even liken it to an AI arms race. Amidst this chaos of such easily accessible and generated information, we have to ask ourselves a fundamental question. Are our education systems falling behind in teaching us the most important lesson of all, the purpose and meaning behind our learning? Recently, WISE took a trip to Medellin, Colombia and partnered with the Global Education Forum to host an event on the topic of taking learning beyond traditional contexts. During our time there, we heard from many fantastic speakers from across Latin America and around the world. Now, when it comes to this particular subject of taking education beyond the classroom, far too often do we hear more about the ambition over execution itself. So I'm really excited to tell you more about today's guest speaker, who definitely seems to be performing the latter in this case. In 2016, Nadim Nathu and his brother wanted to build what they wish they had growing up. During their time in high school, while taking a history class, they wondered, why don't we have a future class? They weren't exposed to emerging technologies, the mindsets of global leaders, and real-world skills. They didn't know anything about coding and what it entails in today's world. And they watched companies like Google and Meta grow to billion-dollar organizations, but they had no clue how they operated. Fast forward to today, for young people to lead the future, focusing on specific core subjects doesn't seem to be enough. What we do need to prioritize are the tools that will be used to solve big problems that shape the future. For example, global issues like climate change won't be solved with traditional methods. We need advancements in carbon capture, battery technology, clean energy production like fusion and solar energy, just to say a few. So that's why Nadim and his brother created the Knowledge Society, a 10-month human accelerator for young teens that aspire to change the world but don't know where to start. The program aims to expose young people to these emerging areas while also developing their mindsets, real-world skills, and building a community of like-minded people. And it seems to be working. Many graduates of the program have gone on to work as some of the youngest employees in top organizations like OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, and NASA. And many have presented at some of the largest conferences in the world, like the Web Summit and TED. I got the chance to talk to Nadim personally during my time in Medellin, and I was instantly swayed by his ability to not only dissect current challenges that we face in our education systems, but also brainstorm specific solutions to them. So it is my pleasure to now switch to WISE director Elias Fulfoul, who will be hosting this episode with Nadim. Stay tuned to hear more on Nadim's ideas on how we can be taking average students to all new heights with just a little brain training and mentorship. We've been talking about those amazing uh, ecosystems in different places, Nigeria, Cairo, Egypt. We're in an amazing ecosystem. I mean, this place was, uh, 20 years ago, one of the most violent cities in the world. Crazy. <laughs> and, and today, it's, it's one of the most innovative cities in the world. And, and the level, I mean, we're, we're in this beautiful campus, EFIT University. And this, this, is, this, this is world-class environment. Amazing. I'm here now 
and I'm trying to look in the next 10 to 15 years. When you see this kind of energy, this kind of dynamism, how do you, how do you project and how you can make a comparison with other ecosystems that you've been operating in? Well, the first thing that I'll say is I came uh, earlier on this year. So I was here in December and January. The first thing I did was I just messaged a bunch of people on the startup ecosystem to connect, see how I could be helpful, <clears throat> connect with VCs, things like that. My position during the pandemic, and we can talk about this a little bit more and we have been talking about it, is I've been pretty disappointed at the level of ambition globally when it comes to education specifically. And what I found was when I came here, that was not the limiting factor, actually. There's quite a bit of ambition here. If you talk to founders uh, in the startup space and the innovation ecosystem, oh, they want to do big things. What they just need is guidance, which is the easiest part. And there's things like Latitude and YCs thinking about coming down here and hopefully conversations that we're having in the ecosystem that we can help build can add to that. But that's the easiest fix, in mm. my opinion. So the attitude is here. The energy is here. The ambition is here. The willingness to try new things. I mean, we were talking about how in developing countries, it's a lot easier to try new things because the downside is a lot lower, right? And so the level of experimentation here, I found, has been pretty awesome. When you, I don't know if you've been to Cosmo School. I have not. Here. It's pretty cool. Every morning, so they don't really have classes. Specific school in Medellin? Yeah, or, it's a specific school. Columbia. So Confama yeah. has these chain of schools yeah. called Cosmo schools. Uh, there's, there's a handful, I think, in the city. And what's really cool is they don't really have classes. They have these things called inspiration moments. That's it. So, and then they have a project. It's a project-based learning curriculum. So say your class is in math. You have to build a project where you incorporate a lot of math. And it's an interdisciplinary type of project. So you, you might have an art inspiration moment, a science inspiration moment, physics inspiration moment, music inspiration moment, and it's self-guided. And you have to use the outcomes of your inspiration moment in your project. Amazing. Whether or not that works or it doesn't work or but whether you testing. think it's good, they're, they're testing, testing they're it. They're taking like the risk where, to test it. I had to come to Medellin to find that to out. Find it. I've, I've visited schools yeah. all around the world. Yeah. I yeah. speak at a bunch of high schools. I'm talking about high school, K-12. to I'm not yeah. talking about university and whatever where there's far less experimentation, in my opinion, yeah. K-12, to right? K-12 to has been... All right, so, so th- th- this leads me, I just want to make a connection with, yeah, yeah. with the Knowledge Society. How do you find the geniuses then? Is, is it TKS? Yeah. So this is a common misconception that we find child prodigies or people who <laughs> are geniuses or whatever. It's not that. I swear it's quote-unquote regular kids, especially from an intellectual horsepower perspective. I say the two things that we look for are curiosity and work ethic or drive. I'll give you an example. When Michael Phelps first started swimming at seven years old, it's not like he was particularly strong for a seven-year-old who had particularly long arms. He just loved being in the water and was willing to put in the work. So the love being in the water equivalent for us is curiosity. And then, yeah, you have to have some sort of drive. Like there's a different, if, if, you want, if you don't want to go to the gym, it doesn't matter if you get your personal trainer, you pay for the membership, whatever, you're going to stop. But if you want to go to the gym and you're motivated, well, then your personal trainer will help you. You know, we'll give you the diet, we'll give you the equipment, tweak your workouts. And of course, by the end of six, eight months, a year, you're going to be completely transformed. And I think <clears throat> when people look at TKS, it's hard to fathom that someone can see that level of change. So going from just a, a kid who doesn't even know algebra a year from now working on computer vision algorithms that can diagnose skin cancer 10% more accurately than dermatologists. It's like, how do you even learn that level of math? Well, to kind of help with this analogy is I'm not a particularly fit guy. I'm not super unfit, but I'm not particularly fit. But if I went to the gym, if I was eating chicken breast and broccoli, if I had an amazing personal trainer, and if I was working out five days a week, you wouldn't think that it's crazy a year from now that I would have six-pack abs and be super 
jacked, right? It's a, it's a daily practice. Exactly. Yeah. The reason why it feels like it's inconceivable in education is because we're comparing it, we're comparing what TKS is to the current education system. Mm. And we're being like, well, I can't fathom how an incremental change to the current education system will leave you to, work, to complete master's PhD level projects or raise millions of dollars to start a company. And that's because until you get into what TKS actually is, it's radically different. Okay, so where, where, is the knowledge, where, where is the knowledge society and what is the methodology? Yeah. And how do you build partnerships and, or how you convince folks to, yeah. know, to test? Because there, there's also a willingness for people to, 100%. to, 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 to implement your... your yeah. So there, there's a bunch of ways people describe TKS. One way is like... Your way. <laughs> I yeah. want your way. <laughs> so the, the way that resonates with most people is like Olympic training for nerds. Okay. Right? So you got these high school kids who are really ambitious and they want to optimize the potential for success. We work with emerging technologies as the tools, but really teasing out the ambition, raising high standards, all that stuff. But the way that I think it's better described, um, if you're aware, if someone's aware with the startup ecosystem, is kind of like the way that I described it at the roundtable was... In startups, there are these things called startup accelerators, like Y Combinator or Techstars. And their goal is to identify people who want to address multi-billion dollar markets and to create unicorn companies. That's their goal. So, so very much driven by money or very much driven by impact? For, for YC and Techstars, it's driven by money. Right. For right. us, we're a human accelerator. So how can we build, quote-unquote, unicorn people? So our metric is impact. How can we create the incredible people who are going to go off um, and solve some of these really important problems. So that's the way that I would describe it. It's almost a human accelerator. And so in YC, what's their job? Their job is to get you your first customer and uh, to help you raise money, right? So what is our job as a human accelerator? Where our, our job as a human accelerator is to focus on four key areas, knowledge, skills, mindsets, networks. So we've essentially built a new education system at TKS because That's the first principles way we were thinking about designing it. We're like, what is the point of TKS? What is the thing that we want to focus on? So I mentioned those four areas. Then what we had to do was be like, what knowledge, what skills, what mindsets, what networks, which we have a whole methodology and document on. And then we have to be like, how do we train these things in the best way? That is not an easy exercise. That took seven years, almost seven years to figure out. And we're still probably around 85% of the way there. But our iteration cycles are long. Mm. You're working with young people in different geographies. Like, if you wanted to make money or if you wanted to do something easy, you definitely don't want to do this, right? Yeah. It took Naveed and I more than 10, you know, you know the 10,000 hours rule, right? We've worked with kids for way more than 10,000 hours with mo- thousands of kids. And we're 85% of the way there, right? And we don't, we're not educators. Like, I started my career off at McKinsey. Yeah, actually, about, yeah. T- tell us a little bit about yeah. how, what, what's the dream of building the knowledge exactly. society so, and how, how this came up. And, and Nadim, is, uh, you, you're co-founder with your brother, right? With my brother, yeah. yeah. Which, that was a cool story, too. So, I began my... Naveen and I were both born in Calgary, oil and gas town, no historical appetite for innovation. For people who are listening, Calgary is like the Houston of Canada, Right. And uh, parents were immigrants. Mom was from Uganda. Dad was from Tanzania. Mom got kicked out during the whole Idi Amin thing, got expelled. And my dad, there was a similar thing that happened in Tanzania where it was less overt, but they nationalized all the property. So it's like, you either stay, you get out. And they they just left. My dad had a grade nine African education. So couldn't help me with like (laughs) basic math. Um, But the cool thing was, is my parents were like, just try a bunch of stuff. Um, And so despite having good grades, despite... Uh, and this is my personal story. My brother's a little bit different. My brother 
had the worst grades until he was grade 12 and realized why grades are important because he needed to get into university. And by the end of his year in grade 12, he scored 100% in math. Wow. Like he was just perfect. And this lends to part of our TKS philosophy, which a lot of people talk about, but is leading with the why. Still, most young people don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, why they're learning what they're learning, why they're interacting with the people that they're interacting with and the software that they're interacting with, whatever the case it was. But fast forward, somehow, Naveed and I both found ourselves in Silicon Valley. And my journey, even to think about the university that I went to, so despite having great grades, despite being in all the extracurriculars, and the whole point of school feels like it's getting good grades to get into that university. But when I had to come down to making that decision, I literally flipped a coin. Heads was business, tails was genetics. And it's not like I thought that it would be a cool story to tell at the time. I literally didn't have a better decision-making framework. I wanted to go so to Western. not even instinct. You, you really, you really... It, it, literally it, flipped a coin because I had, I had one course uh, in grade 10 that talked about uh, genetics and prions and mad cow disease <laughs> and things like that. And I just thought it was interesting. And then my brother went to business school. And that's really... So that's, All a, I knew. that's a great combination. Yeah, like both. I didn't know what engineering was. I didn't know what jobs were. Yeah. And keep in mind, I'm the kid with good grades. I got a good education. I've, and I'm in these extracurriculars. And that was my decision-making framework. And, and business was, and, and going to Western was, which is a, a business school in Canada, or Ivy, it was my brother has a car, so that'd be cool. And I don't like shopping. We fit into the same clothes. Okay? So it was very, very, it was just not a good decision-making framework. And the funny thing is, is it's not much different today with young people, despite having access to the internet and all this stuff. And we were talking about this at dinner the other day, but if you're making a fifty dollars to $100,000 mm. decision, which is going to be the most significant investment, pretty much until you, personal investment until you get married, essentially, mm. or like got a house, you're not going to even spend the $500 to $1,000 to go visit the institution. Like most young people don't do that. So anyway, fast forward, I, I start my career off at McKinsey. And the way I even joined McKinsey was in business school. There's only four career paths that they advocate, which is investment banking, consulting, marketing, and accounting. And the culture in business school was, if you're smart, only consider investment banking or consulting. And if you're not so smart, probably think about accounting and marketing. And my brother did a brief stint in private equity, and the summary is like, you won't like it. So I only had consulting as an option, Mm -hmm. which was my least worst option. But I was like, oh, I want to do it at the best place. And people said McKinsey was the best place. So I only applied to McKinsey, whereas people apply to like every school and go through all the interviews. And I only applied to McKinsey. How long you survived? Just two years. Two years, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because during my interview with the managing partner at the time, Andrew Pickersgill, if he sees this, maybe he'll remember. At the very end, there was a throwaway question, which was, so you plan on staying for two years, right? And I was like, well... If it sucks after eight months, I'm going to leave after eight months. If it's great after eight years, I'll stay for eight years. Yeah. I could have just said, yeah, cool. But I think that was part of it. It's just always been very authentic. My brother ended up starting a tech company, an AI company, or enterprise security company. So it sounds a little bit less Ten sexy. years ago. Yeah, uh, uh, 2012. 2012. That's, 2012. That's, yeah, 13. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And four years later ended up getting acquired by box.com okay so he was leading their ai and machine learning team they didn't really have one he was building it up but what's hilarious is when he first started the company he didn't even know the difference between a designer and a developer like he's he he hired a designer to develop his back end four years later the life head of an of entrepreneur AI, yeah head of AI at a multi-billion dollar company and i got involved in the crypto space during my time in mckinsey a little bit after that's what brought me down to silicon valley 
And one day, my, my brother and I, Naveed, we were in a hot tub where a lot of good philosophical conversations happen, right? And I turned to him and I go, what if we had What 10- are we doing? Yeah. And what I said, I was like, what if we had 10 billion bucks in the bank? How do we spend our time? Because money was less of an issue at that point and all that yeah. stuff. And there were three problems in the world that we wanted to solve. And we're like, say we dedicate the rest of our lives to one of these three problems. And say we crushed it. What about these hundreds of other problems that are impacting hundreds of millions, if not billions of people? So the naive thought was, okay, what if we created an institution that specifically trained people to solve important problems? Like an army of people. And uh, it was very clear that it's not the universities of the world. Yeah. It's not that, no offense to any of these organizations I'm going to say, it's not the acumens of the world. It's not the YCs of the world. Specifically training people to solve. Most of these institutions are filtering institutions. Not even with an impact lens. Like acumen has an impact lens. Some of these other ones don't. So we're like, okay, would it be a bad thing if it existed? No. Do we need 10 billion? No. So we literally, (coughs) excuse me, we literally left everything to why don't we sell this? Yeah. Yeah. And where we became an education institution is it's one thing to say, train people to solve important problems, but you need to have a disproportionately better thesis of what the training actually looks like. And that's where we got into education. Like, how do we even design this thing from the ground up? And again, it took around six and a half years to... And the name came also from the beginning? Yeah, TKS. So my brother and I are a part of a religious community called the Ismaili community. Yeah. It's kind of a sect of, yeah. of, of Islam. And uh, one day we were at our mosque, which is called the Jamaat Khana, yeah. in the morning at 4 a.m. And there was like a type of sermon, it's called a firman, that's, that's being said. And the Aga Khan, who's the religious leader, this firman was talking about the knowledge society. Uh, and we're like, that could be a cool name. It turns out it's not actually the... It's not a, a name that kind of rolls off the tongue, but most people say TKS. TKS even when people yeah. talk about TKS, they don't even know that it stands for yeah. the Knowledge Society. But that was kind of the the intention behind it is, yeah, this is what we do want to create. We want and the to starting point was in Calgary. It was in your hometown? or, or wh- So this is interesting. My brother and I both conceived of the idea in San Francisco. Okay. But our thinking was... If we test out anything in San Francisco, it doesn't prove anything because everyone wants the new shiny toy. Whereas if we can make something work in a place like Calgary with no historical appetite for innovation, most people don't even leave to go to university, just kind of stay there. If it can work in Calgary, then it can work anywhere. That was kind of our thought. And we also hadn't seen our parents in a long time. So we were like, you know, let's go back, whatever. Um, And then McKinsey uh, in Toronto at their HQ, which is a beautiful HQ. It's like one of the nicest McKinsey offices that I've, I've ever been to. And I was like, Actually, to be a part of it. Starvis, my CEO, has, has spent some time so in, nice. in the Toronto office and he told me it was one of the most beautiful offices. Yeah, it's like a big yeah. mansion yeah. that yeah. you feel like it's, it's your own. But anyway, they're doing some renovations and building this thing called an experience studio. And in classic McKinsey fashion, they were building this thing, but they didn't really know how they were going to use it. So the person <laughs> who, who was running the studio heard about what we what were doing from achieve, like yeah. the alumni network. Yeah. He's like, hey, do you want to host TKS out of here? Yeah. So that's when we went to Toronto, spent two years there running TKS out of there, then decided to expand. We're like, is this a Naveed and Nadim thing or can this be scaled? So we expanded to Ottawa, New York, and Boston. And then prior to the pandemic, we were in Toronto, Ottawa, Boston, New York, Vegas. Uh, and then now we're also doing Austin, Houston, Seattle, and thinking about some of our international cities. But then during the pandemic, we had to go completely virtual. And that was really cool forcing function because now we have students from Uzbekistan, Syria, Mexico. And the thing that we were able to prove is that it's not just these kids in North America who have solid foundations of an education system. No, 
maybe they have a little bit of an advantage, like a two-week advantage, mm -hmm. but when you go through the TKS system, you catch up really, really very quickly. Quick. Yeah. Very, very yeah. quickly. Um, and part of it is understanding the why and having guidance of tools and raising their bar for difficulty and all those things. So I understand the scale happened beautifully during the pandemic because everything was remote and it was easy for everyone. Right now, have you gone back to a more of a hybrid yeah. basis? And most of, do you have programs in each of the local uh, city or, or you bring together, do you have like a global summit where everyone come and meet after every one year, two years? How, how the model works in terms of... Yeah. We, have, we have programs in each city and we have an alumni network yeah. in each city, but then also a global alumni network. Yeah. And then we also have our virtual programs. And the cool thing is, is our alumni, after they quote unquote graduate TKS, whether they're going to universities or a lot of our students end up starting companies or get jobs or whatever the case it is, they'll just visit each other now because they're not actually constrained by capital. I mentioned a 15-year-old right now is working at OpenAI, the youngest employees at SpaceX. 15 years old. 15. This 15-year-old, shout out Arnav, uh, can, he was the one who connected me to Sam Altman. Like the reason why I like am, am on a, yeah, I have a direct channel to Sam is because Arnav comes into the office one day and he goes, hey, did you see Sam's tweet uh, about education? I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, do you think you'd want to connect with him? I was like, I mean, yeah, if he's open to you, let's have that conversation. So he's like, one second, just goes down on his phone. That's amazing. And then I get a text on my phone. It's like, Sam, me and Nadim or whatever. Let's, and then, let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and same thing with Naval, right? Naval is probably invested. And I, Naval Actually, and it's Sam. Really, it's really important to get the Sams of the world to get into the conversation about, about education. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing is most really smart people, especially in tech, I can't speak to other industries, so I'm not as involved. Um, Education. So I've, I found that there's two things that is top of mind for them. Longevity, which is like, how can I live forever? And education. Hmm. It's like Vitalik, Sam Altman, Naval, Balaji, Vinod. Like Vinod's wife started CK12. Um, he's been super passionate about education and, and so is she. So all these people are already thinking about it. What we're missing is executional excellence. So it's like, okay, we know the things that are wrong, but who are going to be the people to dedicate the seven plus years going through all the BS to come out the other side with a really, with, with a really interesting hypothesis. Um, and I think that's a rare thing that we've done. I actually can't think of a bunch of other groups in the world that have spent tens of thousands of hours specifically working with this demographic who are not from an educator background and being very ambitious about how to address it. So hey, that, Tell me a little bit of, of, a, of a random conversation with these guys. When, when it comes to education, what, what is... What, what what are we looking for? Is it is it? And I know and I know the, anything related to personalized learning. I want to come back to this actually yeah, yeah. to the personalized learning experiences and AI and all this because I, I think you can you can yeah. you can really be controversial but also yeah. shed light on. But what is? Tell me just a random conversation with whatever Sam or, or someone else. What are we interested in in, edu in education? Well, let me let me first say this. And, I, and I've spoken to a lot of really kind of interesting people who are thinking about this space. Might not necessarily be in it, but it's really important to them. They actually don't have a good hypothesis. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, they, again, they know what's wrong. Uh, they have a level of ambition that I think most other people don't have. So yeah. they kind of layer on yeah. that level of ambition. But first things, here's an example. Here's an insight that most of these people, it's obvious, but when I said it, it became more obvious. Like yeah. it's not something that they've internalized is most people don't want to be educated. And that was like a light bulb moment that went off. They're like, yeah, most people just want to mitigate most risk. Most people don't want to be educated, educated by, yes. a system, they don't want by the system. No, no, most, 
the reason why people even go to university, the reason why even people get good grades is job. not because I want to get educated. Yeah, exactly. It's job. It's because I want a job yeah. Yeah. or I want to mitigate risk yeah. or yeah. whatever the case it is. Yeah. So the motivation is different. So you can talk about the best personalized learning. You can talk about the best tools, yeah. like going back to the gym analogy, creating the best gym with the best personal training. Yeah, but what if someone doesn't even want to go? Oh, okay, so how do we start there? And so even a lot of their hypotheses, when you talk about our learnings of spending, you know, thousands of hours with these young people, and we kind of shed and, you know, they'll ask questions and we'll kind of answer and we'll dig deep and I'll tend to offer like some thought leadership that Navid and I have, it actually changes the way that they think about it. Um, incentives is a really big one, right? Like there's this whole concept of aligning incentives that we all know is, is an issue. And that's why I think ISAs were really interesting. To give you a sense, like one policy change that I think could fundamentally change the whole education system. It's literally one policy change. It's making uh, student loans forgivable. So right now, student loans are one of the only types of loans where if you declare bankruptcy, it's not a forgivable loan. Yeah. But imagine you made it forgivable. Now banks are going to pay a lot more attention. Or, or, or if, if we have a much bigger pool of scholarships that actually goes back in the system, basically we, we, we have enough funds to pay students, you know, you already have that. Like Harvard has what a hundred billion dollar endowment or something like that. So yeah, 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 but they keep it. They keep it. That's, for what, them. I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's like you have the money. The money isn't necessarily the problem, but it's what is the incentive? Even the incentive in high schools for universities. What are the incentives for young people? I think guidance is really important. Um, so I actually think an ISA model could be really interesting from a mentorship perspective. So forget about all institutions, but imagine I chose to work with this like mentor for a year, and if I chose to work with this mentor for a year. Um, there's like a one-year cliff, just like in startups, and I unlock X percent of ISAs for X for like one year. But the more I stay with this mentor because they're adding a lot of value to me, then maybe I vest two, three, four years, five years. Maybe my, the percentage of the ISA I get is a lot greater. Well, now that's something where you don't even have to think about it institutions, but you can kind of decentralize how you can get guidance and mentorship. Because right now, you don't actually have to rely on the education system, which is super interesting because I think it's different than 15 years ago to get a job or raise money or go do research, whatever the case it is. And I'm for sure speaking from a Western world context at this point. Like we can talk about how that can happen in, in a developing world. And I think it is a little bit different, um, which I'm happy to get to later. And I think we should get there. But if you were born in Canada, the U.S., Western Europe, and you have a decent education no, that's system. That's a lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can hack figuring out how to get whatever job that you want. Like at Google is an example. If you want to get a job at Google, there's two piles. There's the referral pile and there's the non-referral pile. If you're in the non-referral pile, there's a very, very low probability. So what does that mean? How do you just get into the referral pile? So there are ways to do that. You don't need to go through an education system to yeah. meet someone who works at Google and whatever the case it is. And side note, that's a really cool thing about TKS is every student has to do a monthly newsletter. I mean, you don't, ha you don't have to do anything. There's no homework at TKS, but we encourage them to do a monthly newsletter. And there's benefits if you do a month monthly newsletter. But by the end of one year, you should see, A, the amount of people that they have on their newsletter. Yeah. And the, and the quality. Effect, the, yeah. yeah. And the, but the quality of people. There's like yeah. billionaires. And yeah. like it, yeah. it's, it's, it's really cool, actually. I'm actually, I'm, I'm following some of, some, yeah. of the, some of the young. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool to see the types of people that have learned about TKS from our young people. Like um, Tony Shea was a really good mm -hmm. example before he passed away tragically, but he ended up becoming a good friend because... At CES, there was this award called the Young Innovators to Watch Award. And every year, they would choose three students from all of the U.S. 
uh, that are working on game-changing stuff, high school students, give them a full scholarship, give them some money, they'll speak on stage and do a little tour of CES. In the first year, they opened it up to Canada because this was 2017. This is the first year we operated TKS. All three winners ended up being from TKS Toronto. Amazing. Wow. Out of all of North America, okay? And then they had to open up two more spots. But anyway, our, our kids went to, to Vegas, and I wanted to create opportunities for them to, to network. But everything in Vegas was after hours. It was 21 plus. <laughs> and Tony, he lived in like a trailer park and like this Airstream. He had a, he had a pet sloth and llama. It was a very kind yeah, of awesome, eccentric yeah. crowd. Yeah. He, had, he had someone who he hired to just keep the fire going 24-7. Yeah, he had awesome. a pool, whatever, right? <laughs> So I, I discovered that he's hosting this thing and we just kind of crash it and we go in and my kids are like, oh my God, that's Tony in the pool with like his little noodle. <laughs> and uh, I was like, go talk to him. So they start talking to Tony. They're probably talking for 45 minutes. He's in the pool. They're, uh, they're, they're outside the pool. And he go, by the end of the conference, they're talking about everything. Like he's a, Tony's a genius. And by the end of the conversation, he's like, first of all, how do you kids know about all this all stuff? Because wow. they were talking about quantum, proteomics, AI, whatever. Same thing happened with Satya Nadella, by the way. That's another story. Mm. And then they're like, but how, and how'd you get in here? Because we don't invite 16-year-olds. So now I started having a conversation with him. And by the end of the conversation, he's like, I want TKS in Vegas this year. I don't want to wait. What do I have to do to sort of make it happen? But there are certain serendipitous moments like that that get people really excited about TKS. And it's funny, the people who we want to know about TKS, which are the young people, the students, they're the hardest demographic to figure out how to get to know about TKS, where it's like the people who, it's nice that they know about TKS, but we don't really care if they do. Like, you know, Satya Nadella or Tony Shea or some of these people or Sam Allman or Naval or, or these people. It's like, it's cool, um, but if I could flip a, a switch and not have these people know about TKS, but as many young people know about TKS, I would do that in a heartbeat. So, um. I want to come back to one, one aspect about wh- where do you put uh, the citizenship versus you know, the market when it comes to education? And, and where do we have a balance right now when it comes to just educating people to be good citizen, yeah. good global citizen? Versus, you know, we're just educating people to, you know, fill in the market. And right now we, we do have a big crisis, by the way, with, with the crisis right now is education is not preparing people for what's coming for in the economy of the future. In my opinion, I actually think that that's the most interesting thing that we were able to crack at TKS while still able to be sustainable and, and make money and things like that to be able to grow the team. Because the, what was the thesis of TKS, if you remember, is how can we create an institution that trains people to solve important problems? So that's what it is at the end of the day. And the reason why you know this, I'll tell you two things. The first is our second year program is all about world's biggest problems and world's biggest technical problems. It's completely different than the first year. So it's built in to the ethos of our curriculum. That's the first thing. The second thing is, the second reason you know this is I'll show you this document quickly here, but I'll read it so people can... Yeah, please read it. Okay, yeah, so so I'll read it. So this is a document. It's kind of like our internal uh, Activate Manifesto. So the first point is core objectives. The second is mindset. The third is wisdom. Fourth, self-understanding. Number five is exponential tech. Most people think that it's like, oh, an innovation program, whatever. Number five is exponential tech. Six, fundamental skills. Seven, how the world works. Eight, requirements. Nine, session types. And then when you go deep into it, it's like, okay, uh, there are three main priorities for uh, TKS students. One is understand yourself. The second is understand the world. And the third is develop skills and knowledge to affect change. To make impact, you need to want something, you need to want it really bad, and you can know, and you need to know you can do it. So when you look at this document, the, the point after that is love yourself and life by developing a deep understanding of yourself, 
developing a healthy and open and positive relationship with your family, developing authentic and trustworthy relationships with your friends, constantly having gratitude and showing appreciation. Then just create your own path. And there's a bunch of different mindsets. None of this is on the website. amazing values, yeah. Yeah, but none of this is on the website because no one wants to pay for this. Yeah. Right? No one wants to be like, oh, I want my kid to have like, they're like, I want my kid to get into university, right? Like, what is the differentiating factor? And then when they join TKS, they're like, oh, I'm studying philosophy. Yeah, I have to learn what eudaimonia is and we're talking about different definitions of happiness and and things like that. And again, I think that's something that we do very uniquely where when you talk to one of these students, you can go in any, you can just tell that they are trained differently Mm. based off the types of stuff that they're talking about. Like Sapiens is a required reading at TKS. Principles by Ray Dalio is a required. It's like imagine a 14-year-old talking about like, oh, well, you know, in this principle, Ray Dalio says this or like, let me talk about this story in Sapiens. I can help kind of realign this conversation to, with like a 14 year old. You're like, what is this? <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean that a lot of that comes from Navid and I really understanding what young people need to develop again, these four areas, knowledge, skills, mindsets, networks. If, if you, if you were involved in a TKS problem, I'd be super powered. Yeah. Oh yeah. It would be insane. Well, because I, I was always someone who had, I think I'm built different in a couple ways. Uh, not, I didn't earn it, not by choice. I was, like Number one, I've never really felt anxiety in my life. Uh, and anxiety tends to be something that prevents people from doing certain things. So I've just never had that biological constraint. The second is I've never really had an issue with taking risk. And risk, I think, is in the top two reasons why someone has a massive impact. Yeah, yeah and, and, and why someone would have a massive impact is having a big risk appetite. To digress a little bit, there's a, I talked, I think, briefly about Vinod Khosla, but for the, those people who don't know him, he started a company called Sun Microsystems. He's a billionaire. Um, he started Khosla Ventures now, which exclusively invests in companies that are going to change the world for the better. And there's a bunch of stuff I, I really do admire Vinod, um, even though he might have some controversy around him, but, but I think he's a great, great human. And he had said this quote once that really resonated with me. He said the consequence of mitigating risk makes the prospect of success inconsequential. So say that again. The consequence of mitigating risk makes the prospect of success inconsequential. So say this is the baseline, this is risk, this is reward. Everyone's trying to mitigate risk. Mitigate, 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 mitigate. But then the amount of success you only get is here. Because risk, Never good. Yeah. Yeah, risk is directly proportional to reward. Yeah. But here's what most people don't know. And this is kind of the logical extension I made from this quote. Is... Risk is directly proportional to perceived risk, but perceived risk is different than actual risk. So more often than not, if you take that risk, you will take advantage of life's greatest arbitrage opportunity, in my opinion, which is the delta between actual risk and perceived risk. And I think that's something that you need to have to increase that upside of doing crazy things. So I've always had a fairly large risk appetite. I've been fairly ambitious. I think I have a decent intellectual horsepower from a biology perspective. (laughs) And so if I sort of had this guidance... Um, you know, depending on how controversial we want to get, I don't think I would have stayed in the university path. Yeah. Um, yeah like yeah. time is our greatest resource. Yeah. And it's the thing that's finite. We can't get back. Yeah. And so I probably realized very early on that if I'm on a mission, okay. So another digression. Do you know why a marathon is called a marathon? So there was a battle in a city called Marathon. It was a Greek city. Yeah. It was a Greek battle. And it was a little bit outside of Athens. And I don't know exactly how the story goes, but Athens was like, if you win, let us know 
because otherwise we're going to have to evacuate Athens because we don't want to mm-hmm. get taken over and, and die. So Greece won the Battle of Marathon, yeah. or Ath- whether it was Athens or whatever. They won the Battle of Marathon. So they tasked this runner to run back to Athens <laughs> at the distance between him and running back to, a- back to Athens is the exact distance of, of a marathon. And so he ran all the way. It's not like this person had training, probably just fought in this yeah, war yeah. <laughs> and delivers the message and dies on the, the doorstep, right? And why? It's because he was on a mission yeah. to be able to do it. It's not like he had time and he to stop and build his a, mission. And he yeah. delivered the message. Yeah. It's not like he had time to stop and build a sandcastle yeah. or whatever. He's on a mission. And for me, impact has always been a central theme. Yeah. And even TKS is very much a mission for me. Like Navid and I don't take days off. People talk about, oh, it's like, is it so unhealthy that you work so much? It's like, no, because I'm no, on man. a mission. If, if, if you're on a mission, there's no more. What is the strength and weakness of both co-founders? And how do you complement each other? Oh, Because it, it's tougher to be in a, in a family business. Yeah. And usually, you know, usually founders and co-founders is one of the most critical things for the success of a company. And, and usually it's complementary to each other. Can, can you tell us a little bit yeah. more the, the relationship? It's funny, growing up, I always thought we were similar in a bunch of ways. But now I think we're similar in a handful of ways, but we're very different in a bunch of ways. Where we are similar is in two really important areas. We're similar in a bunch of other areas, but in two really important areas for being a co-founder together. One is that we're very impact-driven, plus feel like we have a pretty good understanding of the world. Like we've been to over 40 countries. We've done a lot of impact work together. So prior to me joining McKinsey, and, or even, even while I was there and Naveed starting his company, we were in Tajikistan building early childhood development centers. We were with Mohammed Yunus in Bangladesh working at the Grameen Bank on microfinance. We were in Kyrgyzstan helping build a quarter billion dollar university, the University of Central Asia, East Africa, Honduras. Um, and he was there. And, and, and oftentimes he would kind of do his own things. And so we always had that. And no one was telling us to do it. And, and, and these weren't programs that we were yeah, applying to. Just, you, yeah, you I emailed Mohammed Yunus yeah. like five times, yeah. right? Until he, someone got back to me. So, it's, so we were driven by that. And then the second is we don't really care about money. Um, typically, I think in any co-founder relationship, but particularly, I think family, money tends to be a sticking point. Let's put it this way. If, if he went into the bank account, took all the money tomorrow and just like put it in a separate account, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, what are we doing today? It, it doesn't... It is, really it, is, doesn't it, hold on. is it, we don't care about money because... Personally, for personal consumption. We, money is important. Or because there's a big trust. Um, no, I... I, I genuinely in isolation don't care about money okay. in the world. I, I only care about money as an agent of change to hire people to advance a mission, yeah. but from a personal consumption perspective, um, I mean, we, we both don't really care about that. We don't care about amassing large amounts of wealth so we could live a luxury lifestyle. And, yeah. and our thought process, and this is what we tell the kids, is money is no longer the problem. You don't need to amass $100 million, a billion dollars of wealth to, to be, be able impactful. to do something because you can raise money. Yeah. Money is there. there. There were too many people, I think, who took that approach of like, let me do the Focus thing that I don't money. like to yeah. do, make the money yeah. such that I can yeah. you know, yeah. empower other people. This is that time. Yeah. This is what we tell our kids. It's like, what the world is lacking is not capital. It is lacking shots on goal. Yeah. So if you think, and, and but that's a misconception. Most people think it's like money solves a problem. Yeah. No, it's ingenuity. It's the yeah. person. It's yeah. executional excellence. Yeah. And then the reality 100%. is, if you ask someone, you know, did you know there's a lithium supply chain crisis happening in the world? First of all, most people don't even know. And the people who do know, it's like, okay, well, do you know where, where the most lithium is in the world? Most lithium is mined? They might say no. And even if they say, yeah, it's like, do you know where most cobalt is mined? No, it's like, do you even know I'm asking that question? No. So how, they, how are you supposed to start solving that problem if you don't even know? And if you think about it right now, there's probably two or three companies in the world that are meaningfully trying to address this problem. 
imagine there was four. It, math obviously doesn't work this way, but you've improved the probability of solving the problem by 25%. And so there's a bunch of problems in the world, especially non-obvious problems, that there's only a handful of people working on. Space is another example. There's really only two or three. Let's, let's, I'm not going to say who, but let, let's say there's two companies that are meaningfully yeah. actually working on it. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I think for us, it really is about how do we get more shots on goal with these, these young people. One simple question that, I mean, in my conversation with my wife, with my colleagues, we always try to define what is a smart person and what is, what is an intelligent person. How do, we, how do we define someone smart or someone intelligent? So before I answer your question, yeah. I'll just give you my perspective. Yeah. I'm not Webster's dictionary, yeah. but I do have a lot of thoughts on this. And I, I, don't, I don't want the dictionary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'll give you my thoughts on it. It doesn't mean that my thoughts is, is what it is. But first, I would like to ask you, what is the intention behind the question? The intention behind, because there, there's so many... Def- I Actually, I don't know if people understand what is someone smart and what is someone intelligent. And I'm included in this. I, I, I still don't know what, what is someone smart. Why, why we say this, is, this person is smart versus this person is smart. And how, co- and how much it's coming from, uh, how, come you, how, how much you nurture versus you, 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 you learn. Yeah. So I would say I would even like challenge for most people. I actually don't know if they need to have a very solid definition of that because what is the implication? Um, are they making human capital allocation decisions or actual capital allocation decisions? Is it more as like a fun intellectual exercise? I think in your case, it's probably a lot more important, especially if you're looking at people to join the Wise Accelerator or you're looking at you know, companies to fund and things like that. Okay, like so, you, you actually... you, so you define it very much in the context. Well, first, it's like it doesn't have to be in a context, okay. but I think for a lot of people, it's more of an intellectual exercise versus the exercise in utility. Like if someone did get a good understanding of this, can I make one digression? No, you, you know, I'm asking because yeah. you, 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 I mean, kids in the program are smart kids. <laughs> yes or not, no? Not when they start. Not when they start. It's training, right? This, no, quite, this goes back to the gym isn't analogy. It, isn't like, it, is it, I just want to push. Yeah, okay? Isn't totally. it beyond training? No. There is a certain intellectual horsepower bar Yes, of course. And you need to know literacy and math. So there are some basic requirements to join TKS. And I, I'm fine saying this on camera, but it's, it's funny. Almost every year during our kickoff for TKS, Naveed and I will look at each other and be like, this must be the dumbest batch of kids. Because we're just coming off the high of like where these kids were. And we're like, how the heck are we going to get these kids from And you see the here? progress. Yeah. And of and- course, every year they exceed our expectations and they break the medical metaphorical four minute mile. But it's, it's that vast of a difference where a kid ends off and where they come in. And every TKS kid who's watching this will know this, by the way. So it's amazing. You really believe in the power of training and in the power of the right education. Again, I want to, I want to go back to it. This wouldn't be a crazy thought if we were talking about fitness, right? It's not a prerequisite to be fit to go to a gym 100% and if you're following the right things uh, and over a certain period of time I mean brain is a muscle exactly Uh, and so it's very similar like I actually think you mentioned this brain is a physiological organ in our body and why is it inconceivable to think that whatever we do and we learn is not playing parts and building neural pathways or even training muscle memory or actual memory and things like that so um, to answer your question just like very succinctly, for me, it's two things. One, it's um, being able to solve problems. So like, this is a problem. Are you able to solve it? And then are you able to execute on it well? 
That's my definition of what smart is. Um, and the reason why I think this is important to actually discuss, and I was just kind of pushing you to see if there was a, a way that I should answer the question. But at TKS, sometimes I'll ask some of our students whenever I'm having like a, a group discussion, I'll pop in because I don't run the sessions anymore. I'll ask them, I'll be like, um, do you think wisdom is a good or bad thing? Most people will say yeah, good yeah, thing. Yeah. There's some kids who try to like be like, no, I don't think wisdom. It's like, okay, do you think wisdom generally has a more positive connotation than not? Most people will say, yeah. It's like, would you rather have more wisdom than less wisdom? Generally, most people are like, yeah, cool. Then I'm like, okay, what is wisdom? And most people are like, oh. <laughs> and they'll try and come <laughs> no, up with de- no, definitions. <laughs> they'll, they'll try and come up with definitions. And I'm like, but is that wisdom? What if this? And yeah. I'll give them some counterfactuals. And most people are stumped. And then the, the main message there is, look, there's something that you know is good. You want more of it, but you don't even know what it is. How crazy is that? So then I give them my definition to be super tactical of what I think wisdom is. And my definition of wisdom, again, not Webster's or whatever, but it's the thoughtful implication of knowledge plus experiences, so like data, mm. okay? And the reason why this framework I think, is really important if people want to get more wisdom is because now you know exactly what you can do, what levers you, you need to pull to be able to get the more wisdom. So say, for example, you're not a thoughtful person, but you ask so what all the time, like the why behind things, and you have a lot of experiences in data, just think yeah. and be more thoughtful. Say you're super thoughtful and you have a lot of knowledge and experience, but you never ask so what, like what's the point of this? Cool, you can pull on that lever. And say you're super thoughtful and you're always asking why, 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 but you're like a monk in a cave and you don't have a lot of yeah. experiences, go get more experiences. Now it's very clear. And in my opinion, it's multiplicative. So say, for example, you're very thoughtful, you uh, are asking so what, but you have very little knowledge and experience. If you just get a little bit more, that will amplify the amount of wisdom that you can have versus being incrementally more thoughtful or incrementally more... That's brilliant. Yeah. Right? And so going back to what intelligence is smart is, if you ask someone, it's like, do you want to be intelligent? It's like, sure. Would you rather be more intelligent than less intelligent? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, well, how do I get there? Yeah. And what are the things that we need to train? Most people still think it's knowledge because that's where we're training kids in school and memorization, right? What are the four ventricles of the heart? How does photosynthesis work? Spoiler alert, young people, at the dinner that we were at yesterday, I guarantee you 95% at least of those people wouldn't be able to describe how photosynthesis works. No. And guess what? Yeah. They're still functioning members of society, yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> and I would say there's a lot of smart people in that room. Okay? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think for me, that's probably how I define it. And those are a lot of the things that we, we train at TKS. And like, this goes back to how do we train it? Well, of course, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound very obvious, but you have to set people up for opportunities to fail. Why is that important? Is because you need to stretch what they're capable of. Again, going back to the gym analogy, you don't get ripped uh, and stronger by doing weight that's easy. You have to go to failure, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. you have, and then next time you're you're increasing, you're increasing. So it's not a, it's not like a cool philosophical sounding thing. It's like fail. It's, no, and it's, then the compounding effect of doing exactly. this consistently exactly. on a period, exactly. on a longer period of time. Yeah, yeah it's literally physics like that's the only way you can get quote unquote smarter or improve is you have to go to failure figure out what your failure point is and keep increasing that right it's it's so funny because so communication is a really big thing at TCAS when you meet any of our students most of them tend to be a lot better communicators especially for their age and yeah. some of our students that really focus on communication and spike on that are amazing amazing communicators yeah. okay and it's funny because one of our girls she joined at 12 years old Nina her first presentation at TKS, I mean, it was 
very bad for her. And she and then she blossomed. Well, she, halfway through, she started crying. She ran off. Yeah. Ten months later, she spoke at Collision. And that, that was a, a fail, a failure experience. Oh, for her, that, right? That, That's that how she probably, felt. That probably created something inside exactly. of her to say, I'm going to get better. Yeah, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a master of communication. Well, actually, it 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 didn't work out that way. She ended up shutting down, but that's why you have your directors, because we got to take that energy Back, and move it. Because yeah. if you were just isolated, then you're relying on serendipity for someone to use that energy and move it in a positive way. Most young people, especially if you're insecure, you're not going to do that. You're going to go in the other direction, yeah. which is why you need to have a really good. Environment. You need to for have example, the right system. Yeah. For example, again, going back to the gymnasium, you're not going to bench without a spot. Yeah. Right, and if you're yeah. like pushing the failure, you're going to get injured. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you want to make sure you have that. And so our directors, and these aren't teachers, right? They're former founders. They've worked at top tech companies, startups, venture capital, consulting. These are the people who are full time. Yeah. At TKS. Yeah. Working with these young people, right? And so they've done, gone through a bunch of failure. They've worked in these environments. They kind of know. And then ten months later, Nina is speaking in front of ten thousand people at Collision, getting a standing ovation. Wow. Wow. In ten months. Wow. So again, this, these aren't one-off examples. And again, any. TKS student who's watching this, they know because they went through it. The challenge the, here's the, here's the challenge. I'm almost describing like a YC or consulting, like management consulting, before anyone knew what those things were. Now, no one really asks questions because they know mm. generally what it is and they know it's effective. I, I would argue most people still don't know what management consulting is or like what YC does. They just know that if you go through YC, you're going to improve your probability you of, yeah. of whatever. But it's like, what did, what did they do actually? Most people still don't know what happens. I think TKS is kind of in a very similar boat. It's like people are like, okay, this thing sounds cool. It seems like they have good outcomes, but what is it? Um, but it's just a, a different training. If you, if you think of the education system as one level of training, ours is just... Uh, uh, so, so now with, with all these you know, new technologies coming, the AI, and potentially we're getting closer to achieving the learning, the personalized learning experiences. And I know we've been talking about this for the past 10 years, and I know there's a lot of focus on that. And I probably, I think we're missing the real big picture of, of AI. Yeah. I want to hear you on this, and I want to hear you on, are we, are we going to achieve better results if we can create personalized learning experiences? And I want to I wanna have your, I mean, you, you mentioned to one of my colleagues about you know, how, how if we were attacked by aliens? <laughs> how, how do, yeah, I, I, want, I want to get that story out. Yeah, and that was the workshop that I yeah. just did, actually. It was yeah. pretty much rethinking education for first principles yeah. with a very ambitious, like, moonshot yeah. lens. So my perspective on AI and personalized learning and all that stuff, and Sal Khan came out with his, his TED Talk, which, by the way, I think he put a lot of intention behind the UX and even the, the story, like, writing a story of going back and forth. I think that was really cool. Um, in my opinion, it's still very incremental. It's, it's almost like, again, going back to the gym analogy, is getting this really awesome new gym equipment, like when Bowflex came out. Yeah. Okay, just because this thing comes out, it doesn't necessarily mean the tool is going to guarantee you better outcomes. Yeah. Because yeah. there are so many other things, I love this. Yeah. in my opinion, that people aren't talking about, which is, again, going back to why is the person doing what they're doing? We talked about this yesterday at dinner, which is if you ask most young people today in a North American or Western European context, what drives them? Most young people will say they are driven by not failing. Not even money. Not failing. Not failing. They don't okay. want to, like, I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to let my parents down. It's like this, yeah. that, that's the thing that drives them. Versus if you go to, you know, we have kids in Uzbekistan, Mexico, Syria, you ask them, actually a lot of them go, I want to make my community better. Some of them go, I want to make a lot of money because I don't want to be in poverty again, which is a fine driver, but it's, 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 not, yeah. it's not failure, right? So 
my point is, is if that is the driver, let's assume that not failing is the main driver. Again, it doesn't really matter whatever tools you have or whatever the case it is. You're not changing the fundamental reason why people are kind of going through this, which dictates their attitude towards education, their learning journey, building competency, all that stuff. Then there's your community, there's your environment, there's all these other things that kind of shape who you are, there's your values, there's all that other stuff. Not only that, then there's the content. So say you have the AI tool, but you're still learning photosynthesis and the four ventricles of the, the heart or whatever the case it is. Okay, is that what you should be learning? So say it can make you learn that five times as fast. Let's assume you can learn all that stuff five times as fast. And say you retain it. Because, I mean, if you ask the average adult today, what percent of your K-12 to or even university educational experience do you think you retain? They might say like 10%, except for reading, writing, and, and math, right? But if you ask them, like, what you learn on the job, it'd be like 90%, 95% is I've retained that. So we know you learn by doing this better. So even if you retain all of it, what, are, what would you actually use? So, again, you have this tool which I think could be powerful, but there's a lot of other questions I think we need to ask that unfortunately, even global thought leaders today in education, they're not asking. And this is like the crazy thing to me. Sometimes Navid and I feel like we're living in the twilight zone because we wake (laughs) up and we're like, these conversations are just not the right conversations. These takes aren't the right takes. And before we felt insecure, not, not insecure, insecure is the wrong word. We felt like we didn't have the authority Mm. to be able to even think these things because it's like who are we we're not coming from education whatever now what's interesting is like we are global education experts this we are that now took seven years to get there but we're that now so um so for 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 the end you you mentioned earlier that you you rather be known much more by younger people how do we get there how can we how a platform like wise can help that's tough. I mean, unfortunately, the reality is, is most young people aren't going to be listening to this. Some parents might be listening to this. So that's cool. Um, companies that have distribution channels to young people, uh, going through schools, youth organizations, those tend to be very helpful. Finding champions in certain geographies yeah. um, who can really help figure out how to you know, find our directors are really only three things that we need. We need a director, we need the space, and we need the kids. If we have that, we can run a TKS. So anyone who's listening That's to this, a mi- minimum. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, anyone yeah. who's part of the wise community, um, if they're like, oh, it would be really cool to have a TKS in here. If we wanted to bring it to Riyadh, if we wanted to bring it to Dubai, if we wanted to bring it to Chicago, you know, it doesn't really matter, but having the champion really, really helps. Um, but I would say kind of those are the main main things. And it's not going to be really a silver bullet thing. The, only, the closest thing that I can see to a silver bullet uh, awareness thing is like Mr. Beast posting about TKS, yeah. Yeah. right? Is like, okay, well, at least you get sort of that yeah. general awareness. But beyond that, it is like a very, um, it's, not, it's not a silver bullet type yeah. thing. It's how do we build uh, our message and our brand in a meaningful way that really resonates with young people. And the thing that we got to play with is, do we keep talking about outcomes, which is not what we want to do? It's like, oh, people are getting to university, raising money, but that's the thing that tends to be attractive versus, no, do it for the right reasons and build yourself into an awesome superpower So super we need to change human. the narrative. We need, exactly. yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, Nadim, this was probably one of the best you know, podcasts I, I've, I've recorded so Sweet. far nice. in probably one of the most Beautiful scene. Sure. Look at look at Not this. Sure. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Once again, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm super happy we're here. I'm super happy to have you with us. 
And uh, yeah, man, that, that's keep up this amazing work you're doing. Awesome. And it, it's yeah, just fantastic. We'll see you in Qatar. We'll see you in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights from Nadim Nathu and what the Knowledge Society is doing with teenagers around the world. By any chance, if you know any teenagers that could fit the bill for this type of program, know that the final application deadline for this year is on June 30, 2023. So that's just under a month from the time of this recording. So be sure to get that application in there if you're interested. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out a lot. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. If this kind of content is something you're interested in, be sure to let us know and subscribe so that you can keep up to date with everything on Wise On Air. You can reach out to us anytime on our social media platforms. We'll be back next month with more episodes coming out of our Medellin event. Until then, keep on learning and thank you for listening to Wise On Air.